and welcome to this Linklaters podcast on payments regulation. Every month, we talk about the latest legal developments for the payments industry. I'm joined online by two of our payments regulation experts, Jean Price. Hello. And Paul Harris. Hello. Today, we're going to talk about how payments firms look after their customers' money. Paul, I know that you've been speaking to clients about this in the last month or so. Why is this topic coming up now? Yeah, thank you, Simon. So we know from working with a number of, of, of firms that, that recently the FCA has, has begun to shift its expectations and what is actually set out in the payment services regulations and its own payment services and electronic money approach document around safeguarding actually in particular, where it's begun to seek to apply standards not actually set out in the legislation or even in their own wider guidance that's set out in, in the approach document. And I think Given the increased economic risks to businesses as a result of COVID-19, the FCA has now just con- consulted on, on new guidance for payments firms to try and mitigate some of those potential impacts as a result of those economic risks. And I think this is interesting um, for a few reasons, actually. The first one is um, the broader context. Um, not only COVID-19, which is raising concerns about firms' financial strength across the board, so not just with payment services, but also potentially failings that the FCA has already identified before the pandemic in relation to um, businesses, uh, payment services businesses that, that, that have suffered um, losses. Secondly, um, we note that there's a very short consultation period. Um, it's only a couple of weeks, and the, this, this urgency shows how concerned the FCA actually is um, about the issue of safeguarding in particular. But above all, and I think thirdly, the, the most interesting issue is the potential for regulatory overreach here. And I think we're going to talk about this in more detail later, but certainly some eyebrows have been raised in the industry at the way in which the FCA is taking standards normally reserved for investment firms and banks, and now it looks like they're trying to apply those standards to payment services and e-money institutions. Thanks, Paul. But before we get to what the FCA is proposing, Jean, perhaps you could remind us about what payments firms currently have to do Uh, when it comes to handling their customers' money. Thanks, Simon. Yeah, and just quickly building on what Paul said, I think the other thing to note is that the FCA is treating this as an urgent matter as COVID-19, but I think when you actually drill down to it, and Paul will talk about this in more detail, I do wonder whether they're using this as a bit of an opportunity um, to to push it through because uh, many of the issues that come up aren't COVID-19 related. They've been there actually for some time. Because the safeguarding um, requirements aren't new. These were actually in the first payment services directive when it came out, and it's always been a fundamental requirement for payment firms other than credit institutions. Credit institutions don't need to safeguard because obviously they have much higher capital requirements um, as for being banks. But e-money institutions and payment institutions have always been required to segregate client funds from their own money, or the other alternative, and I don't know many who do this in the UK, is to use insurance to cover the loss of those funds. Um, As I said, generally what we see in the market is that firms use a segregated account. So what that means in practice is that the firm opens an account at a credit institution and puts all of the money that has to be segregated, the safeguarded funds, into that account. It's a bit like a solicitor's client account. It's not co-mingled. So it deposits the money relevant in that, that account, keeps it separate from its house account, so it shouldn't be used for working capital or anything. It's safeguarded. So in the event that there's an issue, those funds are held in a separate account. 
So the FCA provides guidance in the payment services approach document, which adds some detail about how firms should implement these rules. When you look at the directive and the regulations, on the face of it, it looks fairly straightforward. However, when you start getting into the detail of how it works on a practical level, actually it, more issues come out. So there's some, some useful stuff in the guidance, the new proposed guidance on when segregation begins, stops and things like that. But it is not straightforward and a lot of firms have struggled with this. So what we've seen recently is a number of payments firms have, have gone bust, owing people significant amounts of money with no way of recovering those. We've also seen Recently, the um, imposition of the FCA's principles for businesses, those never used to apply, but those came in last year for payment institutions and e-money institutions. So it's the, relevant for our um, discussion today because it requires a firm to, to provide adequate protection for client assets when it's responsible for them. Also, there are the overarching things of treating customers fairly. Thanks, Jean. So those are the current requirements. What is the FCA now saying in its latest guidance? So, as you would expect, according to the FCA, um, they say that some firms aren't applying the rules as they would expect to apply them. So, it has seen examples, as have we actually, um, in some of our more contentious work, the firm mixing customer funds with firms' money. They're not keeping accurate records of what they're holding. and. If, just as importantly, they've got poor risk management procedures. So if something does go wrong, they haven't got the framework there that sits it to make sure that their customers are um, protected. So to nip this in the bud, the FTA has put forward extra guidance in a couple of areas. The first one is on safeguarding and the second one is on prudential risk management. So this is just guidance. We have to remember this. Um, and so it shouldn't, in theory, impose new requirements on firm. But all we, we all know um, from years in the regulatory perimeter that you ignore guidance at your own peril. Um, so in practice, there are three things that I think needed to be highlighted for firms to make sure that they're actually doing what the FCA expects if they don't want the FCA to come down on them like a ton of bricks. So the first point is timings. So there are a few um, elements now where the FCA has specified how often something should happen. So the current um, requirements are for firms to keep good records so that they know what customer funds they're responsible for and reconciling those with what they actually hold in their custodian bank at any time. The FCA has now said that these reconciliations must happen at least every business day. Another example is that firms should be commissioning audits of their compliance with safeguarding agreements, and that's got to go at least once a year. They've also got to do that when there are changes to the business model, which is something that firms will need to be wary of if they introduce new product lines during the pandemic or if they significantly change their model you know, to, um, to react and keep their businesses going. So even when these things are already happening at firms, they need to be clearly documented. Record keeping remains one of the primary issues in enforcement actions. So it's not enough to just do it. You've got to be able to evidence that you're doing it. So the second big one is the um, new processes. So the big one is that the FCA is now saying that firms should get a letter from their custodian bank acknowledging that the account is held on behalf of payment service users. Banks are familiar with sending these sorts of letters for other types of financial services firm. We see them for client money under the CAS rules. Solicitors have them for their client account rules, for escrows. They're very similar things in place. 
but now compliant teams at payment firms will need to make sure that the process is set up to make sure the letters are in the form that's suggested and that they are obtained before they start placing money. And the third one is wind down plans. The FCA wants to see that firms have a wind down plan to manage liquidity and resolution risks. So the plan has to cover all the elements you would expect to see, various scenarios on what would happen, address things like how customer funds get returned to them, how merchants can provide um, their services by going through alternate providers in short order, and really to ensure that the failure or near failure of a payments firm doesn't have sort of catastrophic knock-on effects either on their business customers or their end retail customers. And this brings us to some of the perceived problems with some of the FCA's latest guidance. I mean, for example, Jean, you just mentioned um, the new acknowledgement letter that firms are being strongly pushed to go and get from their banks. So according to the FCA, this letter must confirm that the payment firm holds the money in the bank's account as trustee. And that is certainly the case of acknowledgement letters that the FCA will be familiar with because in the FCA's uh, client assets rules, they require firms who are subject to those rules um, to, to obtain acknowledgement letters, which imposes what is known as a statutory trust within those acknowledgement letters. But payment firms are subject to those cash rules, and no trust has been established by virtue of the payment services regulations. And so I suppose in the absence of a trust being created by statute, ultimately it would have to be for the courts under common law principles, and definitely not the FEA as a regulator, to determine whether a trust is said to actually exist or not in the circumstances. So given that that's the case, it's not really clear whether there would always be a trust in place when payment services firms are holding clients' money, or even what terms the trust would be on, or how that trust could be enforced. And I think this is one of the issues that the payment services firms are going to be, have to uh, be grappling with in terms of how they respond not only to the consultation, but how they respond in terms of whether any of the documents that they have in place with, with, with their own customers will need to be updated as a result of this. And it's kind of a similar situation actually with the wind down plans as well, because whilst banks will be familiar uh, with the concept of having to draft a wind down plan or as they've been known, living wills to help kind of administrator or liquidator process the wind down of that bank if it fails and to make sure it can, it can wind down in an orderly manner. This is actually uh, effectively a new requirement for payment institutions and e-money institutions. And it's not set out in statute. And it's really odd that the FCA is seeking to impose this uh, level of obligation via guidance and emergency guidance as well. Just finally, Gene, as you said before, if payment services institutions and e-money institutions need to apply the high-level principle of arranging adequate protection for their, for their customers' money. But in reality, that doesn't really mean that the relevant standard that should be applied is actually the same standards as expected of investment firms under cash, who run very different business models and are generally subject to much broader regulatory regime and are subject to specific rules, for example, that are set out at a European level under MIFID II. And so I think there is a bit of a mismatch here in trying to apply standards to one industry, the payment services industry, that have previously and currently are being applied to an investment services industry, because the two are very different. And by applying those standards, you could lead to, to different outcomes. And I suppose this also kind of just leads on to the much more broader question, with all of these issues kind of swirling around, what's happening next? And now, as we record this podcast, the consultation is actually over. 
but the SCA does intend to publish a Dear CEO letter to payment services providers and formalise formalise this guidance at the end of June. And we're expecting that this letter will include the latest guidance and essentially is going to be putting firms on notice, if they weren't already, um, that the SCA really expects full compliance with the safeguarding expectations. But on top of that, the SCA has said that they're effectively going to be rerunning this consultation as a more formal permanent consultation later this year, this time as part of a suite of changes to their approach document, where we, we probably expect that they'll look to essentially copy and paste this temporary guidance into the approach document as more permanent formal guidance. And whatever the new guidance the FCA publishes now is, it's interesting that they've said that they're going to keep this temporary guidance in place until the formal consultation period later in the year is over. So I think whatever we see as part of the, the formal consultation later in the year, this emergency temporary guidance is here to stay for, for a long period of time. It may change as part of the more formal consultation process later in the year, but I think it's here to stay in one form or, or another for payment services firms and e-money institutions. And finally, let's end with what you might have missed. This is where one of us steps up to the microphone to cover a topic in just 30 seconds. Jean has just lost a quick game of online Pictionary, but by doing so wins the chance to tell us about the latest opinion from the European Banking Authority on strong customer authentication. Take it away, Jean. I can't help thinking, Simon, that this was stacked against me because I've played a lot of Pictionary and I've never drawn a card which says Battle of Thermopylae before, but never mind. So the background to this is strong customer authentication requirements that account providers must give access to third parties to their customers' payment accounts. If you provide this access via a dedicated interface, you've got to make sure that it doesn't create obstacles for the third party. So the EBA is responsible for overseeing the rollout of strong customer authentication in the EU, and it's now released an opinion in which it clarifies what is and what isn't an obstacle. It covers things like redirections, extra consent checks. So for all of us lawyers, strong customer authentication is really the gift that keeps on giving. If you'd like to get in touch with us, if you have any questions or if you have any other uh, Pictionary ideas, you can tweet at Linklaters Tech or email fintech.podcast at linklaters.com. Until next time, thank you for listening and goodbye.